Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. The Gospel according to Mark. We are in chapter 10 tonight. We're going to begin at the 13th verse. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll continue our worship. Father God, we thank you for our worship team. We thank you for those in the sound booth and those working on security. And just, wow, we're just so blessed with so many volunteers, people who love you and who are serving your people in the name of Jesus. We pray tonight that your word will go forth and not return void. I pray for the gift of teaching and the fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to sense your presence. Again, Lord, be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we are in Mark chapter 10, and we're going to cover verses uh, 13 through 16. And the title of tonight's message is God's Children. God's Children. Now, children, our literal children, of course, can make you laugh. Our children can make us cry. Our children can make us upset. I didn't hear any amens, but we know what's in your heart. Well, God knows. (laughs) Our children can make us proud of them, of course, when they do great things. And we thank God for that. But our children can also help us to improve our prayer life. And what I mean by that is sometimes we need a little more patience. Sometimes we need to show them a little more love. Sometimes we need more wisdom in dealing with them and the issues that come with them sometimes. And so we become a little more like prayer warriors. So in that sense, they can improve our prayer life. Our children can sometimes do silly things and jump off of a rooftop and maybe sprain an ankle, cause us to go to the Lord in prayer, praying for their health. And none of my children did that, but that's something I did. So I didn't sprain the ankle though, but I used to jump off of rooftops onto mattresses. To try moves on bikes and skateboards and to try all kind of stuff. You know, one of my boys actually, now that I'm thinking, one of my boys actually um, fractured just right below the knee, my oldest. I think he was about maybe four or five years old. He was jumping off of his grandmother's couch. He landed the wrong way. And you thought that would slow him down. He had a cast on and everything. The kids were playing and running outside. All the kids were zoomed by. Then you see him limping through, but he was still running or trying to. Not too long after that, he ended up breaking his wrist. And so those kids, they just keep you on your knees in prayer. But overall, children are a blessing. And many of us know that by experience. But we also know that because of the word of the Lord, because the word of the Lord tells us that children are a heritage or an inheritance or a gift from the Lord. And it says the fruit of the womb 
is a reward. And that's Psalm 127, verse 3. And then in Psalm 127, verse 5, God's word says, Happy or blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. And so this man is, is pictured as a warrior or an archer who has arrows in his quiver. That case for holding arrows. So blessed is that man who has his quiver full of children. They're a blessing. There's so much of a blessing that, in fact, women in the Bible would feel ashamed and hurt when they were unable to bear children. It was a reproach to them. And some say that they saw it as a curse from God that they were unable to bear children. So children, yes, they are a blessing. And today we're going to see Jesus' interaction with children. And then we're going to learn something about our role as parents, guardians, and teachers in the lives of children. And then we'll go from there. We're going to use that lesson as a springboard to talk about being a child of God, which will coincide with the title of our lessons, God's Children. And so in Mark 10, verse 13, it says, then they brought little children to him. They brought little children to Jesus. Luke 18 says that they brought infants. And so they brought probably toddlers and infants to Jesus that he might touch them. And Matthew says, and pray. But the disciples, his, his own students or followers, they scolded those who brought their children They're infants. But when Jesus saw that, he was greatly displeased. And he said to his disciples, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. Don't don't stop them from coming to me for of such is the kingdom of God. So in other words, the kingdom of God belongs to people who are like these little children. And by the way, it was common among the Jews to bring their children to men who were noted for their piety. In other words, these are, these are men who took their faith or their religion seriously. The Jews at that time will have these men bless their children and pray for their children. And another source states that it was a custom to take infants to the synagogues. The place where the Jews met to, to worship, to, to read the scriptures, to learn. So it was custom for them to take infants to those places that they might receive the prayers and blessings of the rabbis or holy men. And even today as Christians and here at Calvary Chapel of Queen Creek, we We pray over the children. We dedicate children to the Lord. We don't baptize the children in water. That's a decision they need to make. They need to decide to repent and put their faith in Christ. They need to know what they're doing when they get water baptized. That's a commitment they have to make. Not the parents, but as Christians, what we do here is we pray over those babies. 
we dedicate those babies to the Lord. We also pray over the parents who bring those children up here to the stage to be dedicated. But as we think about these verses and and verses 13 and 14, the question comes up. Why did these disciples feel that they should rebuke or scold those who brought the children? Why did they feel that they needed to scold them, to rebuke these people? And maybe it was because the disciples felt that it was a waste of Jesus' time. Maybe that was one of their reasons why they would rebuke the people who brought these children, who brought these toddlers, these, these infants. Or maybe these disciples felt it would be a waste of their time. Maybe they wanted to move on or do something else. It doesn't say. But those are possibilities of why they would do that. Why they would forbid these children to come to Jesus. And hopefully tonight, the parents and servants of the church who are here don't feel this way. Hopefully, we don't feel that Jesus only has time for adult problems. Oh, those kids, they don't have bills to pay. They don't have jobs to worry about. They don't have marriages to worry about. So these children can wait. So hopefully, people don't think that way, that he only cares about adult issues. And maybe, just like some of these disciples, maybe some of the people here were listening or watching online. Maybe the thought have crossed your mind, just like these disciples, maybe, that there's more important things to do than bring these children to Jesus. Well, I know the children said that they like kids' life and they want to be here, but you know what? I have something to do. I recorded a soap opera and I want to finish watching that soap opera so that kid's life can wait till next week or next month. Or football game is on and I haven't watched football in a while. So, you know what, I'm going to stay home this Sunday and maybe next Sunday I could take the children to Sunday school. So, so maybe some people have had that thought that they had more important things to do than to take their children to Jesus. But as we see here with Jesus in, in verses 13 and 14 of Mark 10, just in the life of Jesus, we see that God is not happy when, the, when we stop a child from coming to him, when we forbid that child. And some people do that with words. Some people go out of their way to, to tell children, to tell these kids, teenagers maybe, That, oh, Jesus is just a myth. Oh, he is a copycat savior. And there's the truth. There's that lie, but then there's that truth. But, But some people would forbid people from coming to Jesus, forbid children from coming to Jesus by saying things like that. Haven't even done their research. Because if they did their research, they'll find out that it's actually the other way around. Or maybe some have said that, oh, Jesus is just some other holy man. That there's some other holy man just as good as him. 
And so some people forbid children from coming by their words, these words they say, these lies they say, these blasphemies that they put out there on TV. Or maybe there's some family member who think they're, the new word is woke. And they want to pass these, this on to children and destroy whatever faith they have. Some people forbid children to come with their actions. And as I mentioned earlier, one action could be not bringing the children to, to church when they're willing and ready to come. Or not having a Bible study with them or taking the time to answer their Bible questions or their questions about Jesus. Ignoring the children. So some people forbid the children to come to Jesus by those actions and also by living, believe it or not, a contradictory life to the word of God. And when that happens, why, why would the children want to listen to you? If you say one thing, but do another. If you say the Bible's the word of God, but you live like there is no God. So some people forbid children with words, some do with their actions. But I have to ask the question, and the question is, who do you want to have an influential touch in your children's life? So if you don't want Jesus to touch them in an influential way, to touch their lives and have the most influence over their lives, then, then who do you want to influence the children? Do you want the education system to have all of the influence over your children? Or do you want them to attend churches where it's all about entertainment, but there's no word being taught? Well, there are some local churches out there where that's happening. So the parents ask the children, what did you learn today? I don't know. Just learn how to play video games. It's nothing wrong with fun. But that's something that we can do outside of church. And so, yes, have fun, but make the Lord, make sure he's the main thing. Because we're here to worship him corporately. And so, of course, we learn from this, yes, we need to bring the children to Jesus. And the parents, we need to do this while the children are young. Because the children are curious and, of course, they're open to learning. And God knows that. And an example of him knowing that would be in Exodus 12. Because if you remember in Exodus 12... The 10th plague was about to occur. The 10th plague in Egypt. Where there was about to be the death of the firstborn of man and beast. Because remember the children of Israel at that time. They were slaves in Egypt. And the Lord was ready to deliver them. And Pharaoh had been hardening his heart. And yes at time it says that God hardened his heart. But that was in response to Pharaoh hardening his heart first. And so God said, okay, you want to harden your heart, then I'll strengthen you in your position. And then accomplish my purposes. But read the scriptures. It, it does say that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And so we get to the 10th plague and the death of the firstborn of man and beast is about to occur in the land of Egypt. And then the Lord began to tell the Israelites 
or Moses to share with the Israelites what to do so that he would pass over their door. And so on the 10th day, they were to take a lamb and keep it until the 14th day. And then at twilight on the 14th day, they were to slay that lamb and put the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel. And then, of course, they were supposed to partake of that Passover lamb and leave none of it for the next day. And if they did, they were supposed to burn it all up. Because God was about to do something that night. He was about to move through the land of Egypt and, and over those houses that had the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel. It says that the Lord would pass over those houses and he would not allow the destroyer to kill their firstborn. But here's the thing, because remember, we're talking about the curiosity of the children. Because if we really pay attention to what's going on here, as we get to verse 26 in Exodus 12, God understood that the children would be curious because God told them, he said, look, when you get to the promised land, when you get to Canaan, the land that I promised you, that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to his descendants, when you get there, I want you to keep this feast of the Passover. And then God says, not if, but he says, when those children ask you, when they ask you, what do you mean by this service? Notice he said, when. He understood that the children are curious, and he also told them what to tell these children about why they celebrate the Passover. And so he told them to tell the children that we celebrate it because the Lord passed over those houses of the people who had the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and on the lintel, spared the, their firstborn's lives. And of course, that event would lead to the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt, from slavery there. But, but emphasis, emphasis goes on the part of the fact that God knew these children would be curious. So have an answer for them. And today we need to be proactive in introducing our curious children to Jesus we need to be ready to answer any questions they may have about Jesus or about the Bible. And so I want to flip over to Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. And it says, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, to anger, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Training, meaning that, that corrective discipline. So disciplining our children when necessary, God's way, of course, should be corrective. They're on the wrong track. So the discipline takes place to get them back on track. And also bring them up in the admonition of the Lord, the teaching or instruction of the Lord. So again, we need to make sure that we're teaching the children about Jesus. Introduce them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus and don't forbid them. Then teach them what the word of God says about 
Jesus and about God the Father and about life. Because if we don't do this, I guarantee you they'll be introduced to something else or someone else. And it won't be pretty. Because there are others out there that are willing to accept them and mold them. There are others out there that, hey, if you want to allow Jesus to touch them in an influential way, then there's the enemy. And there's folks that he's using in this world who's going to touch them in an influential way and help to mold their thinking, which will end up being unbiblical, ungodly type of thinking. And so we need to be proactive as parents, as guardians. In verse 15, it says, Assuredly, I say to you, again, this is Jesus talking, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took these children up in his arms, these infants who were there as well, up in his arms. And he laid his hands on them and he blessed these children. And so we see there in that verse, in verse 15, that there is a kingdom that is offered to people. There's a kingdom offered to anyone who will receive it. There's many people in here who, are, who have already received that kingdom And so you are a part of it. You're going to rule and reign in that kingdom with Christ for a thousand years. And after that, you have what's called the eternal order or the eternal state. Revelation 21 and 22. But many of us have received that kingdom. And praise God, but maybe there's somebody here or somebody who's viewing online. Or somebody who will be listening to the audio and you haven't yet received the kingdom that is offered. Will you receive it? The opportunity is there. You still have breath in your lungs. Will you receive this kingdom that is offered? Or if somebody offered you $100, you would receive it. If somebody offered you a, a new car, a new house, you would receive it. But you have an entire kingdom. Spiritual kingdom. Will you receive that? But what is the condition of receiving this kingdom? See the kingdom of, I'm sorry, what is the condition of entering this kingdom? The condition of entering this kingdom is to receive it as a little child. That's the condition of of entering the kingdom, receiving it as a little child. And I shared a little bit of this a couple of lessons ago, but why are children a good illustration of what Jesus is talking about? As a reminder for some and new to others, well, it's because children, first of all, have simple trust. Simple trust in their parents, for example. Children, For the most part, are humble. We can learn some humility from children. In other words, the children know their place. And because they know their place, the children are dependent. They depend on their parents to look out for them, to take care of them. And so 
These are some reasons why children are a good, good illustration of what Jesus is talking about. And if we paid attention here, we see that this kingdom, especially in verse 14, if we paid attention to that, we see that this kingdom that Jesus is talking about is made up of people who are like these children, have simple trust or humble and dependent. In other words, the, the kingdom of God is made up of people who know they need God. They know that they need his assistance. They know that in and of themselves or in and of ourselves, those of us who are part of his kingdom, who are believers, we know that there is no righteousness in and of ourselves. We know that what God calls us to do and walking in holiness, we know that that is not something we can do in and of ourselves. So we are dependent upon him. We know that in order to have power over sin in our lives, there's, there's no way we can do that on our own. So we are dependent on him, just like children are dependent on their parents. And so there's that condition of entering the kingdom to receive it just like little children with the attitude of a child, that simple trust, that simple faith, humility. And here's the key. Anyone can become God's child. And notice I said become because it's not automatic. Just because a person is born physically doesn't make them automatically a child of God. When we're born physically, we are automatically a part of Adam. We automatically receive the sin nature from Adam. We don't have a choice in that. But anyone can become a child of God. We have a choice in that matter. As we repent and we put our faith in Christ. See, in order to become a part of of God's family. To become God's child, we must be born into his family. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3 tells us where we start. Gives us a picture of why we need to be born into the family of God. Ephesians 2 1 it says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. So they're Christians at this point. We once walked according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So Satan is that prince of the power of the air. In other words, he's the ruler of the unseen, this unseen realm he has a demonic army. Could also be speaking of the earth's atmosphere. It's the God of this age. Ruler of, of this world. And so he now works in the sons of disobedience. Not that everybody is possessed. Every unbeliever is possessed by Satan. Doesn't mean that. But he influences the sons of disobedience unbelievers, those who are of the world. Because remember, Satan, he was a created being. He can't possess a bunch of people at one time. He can't even be everywhere at one time. 
He's not omnipresent like God is. But what happens is he, there is a bunch of fallen angels or demons. And Satan, of course, rules over them and they influence, influence the, the world. The Bible says that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one, the wicked one of Satan. So praise God. Those of us who believe we're not a part of this world, we just live in it. But we're just pilgrims and we're passing through. But it says in verse 3, among whom, <clears throat> excuse me, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. At one point, we all conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh at one point. Living according to our sin nature, we fulfilled the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, deserving of God's wrath, deserving of God's punishment, deserving of hell, being separated eternally from God. We all were deserving of that. This is who we were by nature. So this gives us the starting point of why we need to be born into the family of God and become his children. But then John 1 tells us how that happens. Gives us a description of what we need to do because it says in John 1 verses 12 and 13, but as many as receive Jesus to them, He gave the right to become children of God. Only those who received him have the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And when we talk about the name of Jesus, we're not just talking about an identifier. We're talking about who he is. All that comes with that name. And so to those who believe in his name, he gave us the right to become children of God. And we were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but we were born according to the will of God. And so this is a divine birth. It comes from God. It's initiated by God. And we have to respond. Born from above. In John 3 and 3, you'll recognize this. Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And he answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again. Again, it speaks of regeneration, the new birth. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Remember, we we, we talked about receiving The kingdom as a little child? Because if we don't, we'll by no means enter into it. That's the condition of entering into that kingdom. Faith as if we were a little child. And then we would experience that new birth. We'll be regenerated. We'll receive that new nature. A new nature that comes from God. We have sin nature, but then we receive a 
nature from God, a, a, a nature that now we will want to do those things that please God, a nature that doesn't sin. Oh, when our, when our flesh, when our bodies are influenced by our sin nature, we sin. But the new nature from God does not sin. You see, when we receive that new nature, when we're born again, what happens is our spirit, which is dead in trespasses and sins, is now made alive unto God. And now his Holy Spirit comes within our spirit. We're regenerated, new birth, new nature, a part of the family of God, can call ourselves a child of God. And just so you know, everyone in the kingdom of God is his child. What I mean by that is that God does not have grandchildren. He doesn't have nephews and he doesn't have nieces. He has children. And it speaks of having a personal relationship with God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. So you can look at Jesus as the bridge between sinful man and a holy God. And it's only through Jesus that we can have a relationship with God the Father. And so yes, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody can get to the Father but through him. And so this is a personal relationship. We can call him father, not uncle, not grandpa. We can't ride the coattails of our parents or another safe family member or another Christian can ride their coattails. We have to come to God through Jesus for ourselves and become a child. And everyone in this kingdom is his child and And then we'll be able to identify with that song. Lyrics from that song, he knows my name. We'll be able to identify with the lyrics that I have a father. And it says that he calls me his own. He'll never leave me no matter where I go. And of course, you know the song, he knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and he hears me when I call. That's something that a child of God, a a child in the kingdom of God can say. That God is so interested in me. He loves me so much that, that he knows every single time that I cry. He knows that and he knows how to comfort me in that time. Every single time I call on his name, oh, he hears me because I'm his child. And that's a benefit of having a personal relationship with him through Christ. And since we are God's children, and since we will inherit a kingdom, then we must see ourselves as children of the king. Notice that. Imagine that. This is the God of the universe. We can say that too. That he is our heavenly father. That, that this king of the universe. This king of all creations. We can say that we're children of the king. That we've literally 
And spiritually, I should say, gone from rags to riches, spiritually. Spiritually poor. But we've gone from that state to spiritually rich. Because it tells us that Jesus became poor so that we can become rich, spiritually speaking. And so, as children of the king, we've gone from rags to riches. We've gone from having no power to having power. That is, of course, in the Holy Spirit. We've gone from being a part of the kingdom of darkness to now being a part of the kingdom of light. And when we view ourselves in that manner, when we view ourselves as we really are, children of the Most High, children of the King, being a part of the kingdom, then what we hear other people say about us, when we hear things that the world says about us, It won't phase us. So it's so crucial, as I mentioned earlier, earlier in the service, so crucial that we know what God says about us. It's so crucial that we know that we're children of the king. Because some people would try to identify us with a name from our old life. Oh, you're just a thief or you're you're this or that or Whatever we used to be in the past, some people will try to identify us with that name. Some will call us names because we don't go with their flow. We no longer go on with their flow in the world, living the lifestyle that they live. And even the enemy accuses us. He's called the accuser of the brethren. But praise God, we have an intercessor in Jesus Christ who's at the right hand of the Father. It says that he's interceding for us. He's our high priest. And so when the enemy brings an accusation against us, look at what they're doing. They can't be going to heaven. They they can't be your child. They can't be somebody who's going to enter your kingdom. Well, Jesus stands there interceding for us. No, no, I shed my blood for them. I died for them. And I was resurrected for their justification. Case closed. And so when the enemy accuses us before God or accuses us and try to implant thoughts in our minds, we don't have to receive those thoughts. We don't have to, we don't have to accept them because we know that we are children of the king. Even when we try to put our own selves down. I'm such a horrible person. I've done this or that in the past. How could God love me? How can God receive me? Remember that if you receive Christ, you are now a child of the king. And being a child of the king implies that we look like the king. That we look like our heavenly father. As it tells us in 1 John 3.10, it says, In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. You see there, people are not automatically a child of God. You have to be born into the family through faith in Christ because some people are the children of the devil in the sense that they're living a lifestyle that's in line with the devil's um, way of living. 
And so in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest or revealed. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Ephesians 5.1 tells us, therefore, be imitators of God as what? As dear children. Be imitators, be copycats, be followers of God as dear children. And so if you're a child of the king, we should be looking like the king in the way we live. And we are like our heavenly father. We are like the king of kings, the Lord of lords, when righteousness is evident in our daily spiritual walk. Because remember what is said in 1 John 3.10, that whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Now, that doesn't mean that believers don't sin. Unfortunately, we do. If that happens, confess it, repent it, and repent of that. God will forgive us. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what it's saying there is that the rule, the rule of our lives, our righteousness, And so we're righteous by standing, by position. That's what justification is about. But then in our lifestyle, habitually, the rule of our lives should be righteousness, right living. And so we're like our father when righteousness is evident in our spiritual walk. And we're also like our father when we love. When we love, we are like our father. The worship team comes up. It says in Matthew 5, verses 44 and 45, Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. So if they invoke evil on you, if they tell you, I wish you would die, or some bad stuff had happened to you, that you go in the street to get hit by a car or something, well, don't say, well, I, I hope it happens to you first. Don't do that. But it says, bless them, invoke blessings on them. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you. In other words, pray for those who mistreat you. If you do that, it'll be hard to hate them. You don't want that hate and bitterness to settle. That's what happens when you stay angry at somebody for so long. and Don't forgive them. It turns into bitterness and hate. It's hard to have that in your heart for someone when you're praying for them. So so pray for those who mistreat you and persecute you. And notice what it says, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So it's not saying that you love somebody first. Even if they hate you and mistreat you and all that stuff. It's not saying that you do that first and then you become a child of God. That's not what it's saying because that's works. What it's saying is that when we do that, when we love those who hate us, when when we love our enemies, what it's saying is that we show ourselves, we demonstrate that we are the sons of God. That's what it's saying. That's what Jesus is saying. And so when we practice righteousness in our lifestyle and when we love the way God loves, even those people who don't agree with us and mistreat us, that's God-like. We show that we are children of the king. That's what we show. 
And it's just like God allowing the sun to, to rise on those who are evil and good. We love all people, whether they're evil or good, whether they're believers or not. You see, God is, even tonight, he's ready to receive anyone who will come to him. He's ready. We, we saw that in, in verse 14 of Mark 10. Oh, these children, these children who were forbidden at first to come to Jesus. Oh, when they finally broke through. After Jesus rebuked his disciples, notice what he did. He took them up in his arms. He laid his hands on them and blessed them. So if there's anyone tonight maybe listening or in the room and you haven't received Christ. And and right now you want to become his child, a child of the king who receive anyone who comes to him. And we have a last scripture here to prove that. It says in John 6, 37, that all that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me will by no means never be cast out. He won't cast them out. Says, I will by no means, I will never cast them out. And so what you see here is God's, in the same sentence, you see God's sovereignty and you see man's choice. Because Jesus later on would say, even in John 6, that no one comes to him except the father draws him. And so even here, you see God's responsibility. You see God's sovereignty in giving, handing people over to Jesus. But we have to make the choice to come to him. And he says, I will never cast that person out. Just like you see him taking those children in his arms and hugging on them, praying for them, loving on them. And so if you're a child of God tonight, I hope that you thank God. I hope that you go home with a heart of gratitude because he loves you so much. But Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for who you are to us. We thank you for drawing us to Jesus We thank you that Jesus has not cast us out and will never do so. And Lord, we pray for those who have not received your son. We pray, Lord, that you would remove the spiritual blinders and draw them to Jesus. And we pray that you would encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ who've been called every name in the book that's not favorable. And maybe they brought up some of, them, some of this stuff themselves. Even putting themselves down. 
But I pray, Lord, that they will leave here knowing that as children of the king, they are so blessed. That they are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. That the best is yet to come for his people. I pray that they will leave that, leave with that in their hearts, Father. And we love you, Lord, and we thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if anybody needs prayer tonight, we'll be here at the front, ready and willing to pray with you. Other than that, we thank you so much for coming out. Thank you for your prayers. We pray that you drive home safely and that you have a blessed week and that God would use you in a mighty way. We love you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.